So a couple years ago, um, I was at a coffee shop here in town reading and preparing to lead a Bible study, and, and a gentleman sat next to me, and I don't really totally remember how, but we started getting into a conversation. I tend to do that. I can talk to anybody about anything pretty much, and so we started talking, and five minutes into the conversation, he starts talking to me about politics, which usually is like, you know, who wants to do that? Um, but one of the things he mentioned as we were sitting there talking and as, as he was talking to me during that time, was that he had lost all hope in humanity because of what was going on politically. Now, you would think, Kevin's a pastor. If someone drops the, hey, I've lost all hope in humanity card to to him, he is going to seize that opportunity to share the gospel with this guy, right? It's like, hey, let me roll the red carpet out for you, right? (laughs) Like, here we go. And so, Something strange happened as I was talking to this guy, and I'm, I, I've had time to think about it over the years, but he, he said that, and I don't know if I was like overwhelmed with what I was trying to do in that moment. I don't know if he had caught me off guard diving into politics within the first five minutes of meeting him. I'm not really totally sure, but I chickened out. Right? He says this to me, and I think, I think I said something like, yeah, politics are tough, aren't they? Hello? <laughs> Right? And I just like kind of put my head down, and, and we went on our separate ways. And I, 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 I keep asking myself, you know, it, this has been like three years at this point. I keep asking myself, like, what, what happened there? Why, why didn't I seize that opportunity? What, what paralyzed me in that moment to not step out in boldness and share why my hope in humanity runs deeper than politics or the actions of men and women, right? What, what gripped me with fear in that moment? And you don't need to raise your hand there, but who can relate with this, right? right? I mean, you see an opportunity to share your faith, God opens a door, and then you fumble or are afraid to say something. And, and this isn't the only time this has happened to me, but I, I get to thinking when these types of scenarios or these, these moments arise, like why why are we afraid? Because there have been people that have come to me and said, Pastor, you know, I feel like I need more training or I need more equipping or whatever else because I had this opportunity and I didn't take this opportunity and I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm just afraid. And, and I've heard lots of answers as to why we get afraid in those moments. Maybe we're, we, we, we think we won't have the right thing to say if the person asks us a question about God and, and why we believe what we believe. We, we, we're worried we might offend somebody if we share the gospel. Let me just stop for a second. If you want to share the gospel with somebody, you will offend them, okay? And I don't say that like to be joking or whatever else, but just the the gospel says this, right? That we are desperately wicked above all else and that we've rebelled against the creator of the universe and that we cannot save ourselves. You, You cannot share that with somebody in a way that makes them feel good about themselves, right? The good news on the backside of that is that God made a way when there was no way that Jesus was put in our place to satisfy God's wrath and judgment and has imparted and given free life to those who would trust in him. Right? Not, not based on my merit or my actions, but based upon the merits of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And so if you want to share your faith, which I think most Christians want to do that because you have a hope inside of you and what God has done, just know that 
there's no way that you can get through without offending somebody in some way, shape, or form. But I think sometimes this runs deeper than that, and we're afraid that we might really, really upset somebody, and so we're worried that they might think less of us or think that we're dumb or that we don't know what we're talking about. And, and as I've had time to play out that scenario in my own heart and others like it, I, I think I've seen this prevailing theme in myself and others that oftentimes one of the reasons why we shrink back in those moments is maybe, yes, we had some uh, hesitations on whether we would say the right things or, or whether this person was really open or whether we might offend them. But I think oftentimes the reason we shy away is because we're mixed with a love of self and a fear of man. That we're way too worried about how we are presentable to others and we're way too worried about what others might think of us. Now, typically, right, having now been a follower of Jesus and grown up in, in the faith now for the last 15 years and having gone to church as a kid, even though I wasn't a believer, I think what I'm used to seeing when I share the type of story that I just shared or the type of scenario that I just talked about is that the pastor will get up and he will list 15 ways that you can overcome your fear and share your faith, right? And he'll give you a bunch of really good platitudes and rules to follow about why you can do it and you can pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and figure out how to do it if you just try a little bit harder. And what ends up happening is some of us in our own power do try to do that. Right? We, we're, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share my faith every day for the next 30 days. Right? We'll create these rules or these resolutions or these things we do. Or we walk away thinking, I can't do that. And we feel guilty for not sharing. And we heap condemnation on ourselves, which then creates a cycle where we only further paralyze ourselves and cause ourselves to seize up again when the opportunity arises. As if we could witness to others in our own power instead of making it about God. And that's why I love so much what Paul does this morning when he's talking to Timothy. Because instead of yelling at Timothy and giving him a bunch of things he can do to become a better evangelist and a better preacher and a better pastor, and instead of explaining to Timothy why he's a scaredy cat and all the things that are wrong with him, he's going to encourage Timothy instead. He's not going to beat Timothy up. He's not going to tear him down. Instead, he's going to encourage Timothy to press into God's grace and that even when he fails, not to give up. Right? To rest in the hope and joy that comes from knowing Christ. So I think we're going to see two major ways that Paul encourages Timothy this morning in our text. And these will kind of be my two main points this morning from the text. The first one is he's going to give Timothy a call to not be ashamed of the gospel. And the second thing we're going to see him do is he's going to give a call for Timothy to imitate the boldness that he sees in others or the boldness of others. So I'm going to pray that God would meet us as we study that this morning and that we might leave encouraged not to be better evangelists, although I hope that would be something that might be a byproduct of what we talk about this morning and share this morning, but that more than anything, we would leave with a deeper love of what God has done for us and how he empowers us, his sons and daughters for ministry. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. 
Thank you that it is timeless. Thank you that a a letter written to a young pastor in Ephesus almost 2,000 years ago is for us as well. And God, as we study that letter this morning, will you do a work that only you can do? Or will you, when necessary, convict us of sin? Where necessary, Lord, will you grant us repentance? And Lord, will you encourage us to rest not in our own performance, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ, in his life, death, burial, and resurrection? And from that, Lord, will that that encourage our hearts to worship you because you are worthy? And help us as your church to make much of Jesus. God, we love you. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Remember, uh, last week I shared with you guys that the theme that we see here in 2 Timothy is, is one of encouragement. You, you'll notice, and one of the things that my gospel community even pointed out this past week as we were studying, is that you can tell very early on the difference in tone between these first two letters. Right? In the first letter, Paul immediately dives into Timothy and, and just starts sharing with him. Timothy, like, you forgot some things you're supposed to be doing as a pastor. Let's go. Right? But you can tell very, very quickly right, in this second letter that his tone has changed because of the, the circumstances of Paul's life. You know, he's, he's awaiting his execution. He's remembering God's faithfulness to him over the course of time. And as he writes this letter, he really just wants Timothy to know how loved he is by, by Paul himself, but also by God. And know that he believes in the calling that God has placed on Timothy's life. And so when we get to verse 8, we're going to see Paul makes this call to Timothy. Do not be ashamed of the gospel, Timothy. Do not be ashamed of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Notice what he says there. Let me read verse 8 to you. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. He, he, he says to Timothy, two things, Timothy, that, that I want you to know you have no reason to be ashamed of. Right? The first one is the testimony about our Lord, He's he's saying the gospel, the good news, the message of what Jesus has done. You do not need to ever be ashamed of that message, Timothy. But also he says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. What was going on during this time is because Paul was in prison, there were some who were discrediting his ministry because he had been arrested by the Romans and he was awaiting execution. And Paul makes this appeal not to be ashamed 
because of what God has done, this was something that Paul was going to have to face. Now, all of this needs to be taken into uh, account in light of what we saw last week in verse 7. Oftentimes, when you, you see Paul make a transition in the text, you'll see this word right there at the beginning of verse 8, therefore. And what the, what the author is trying to do is he's trying to make sure we understand that the point he's about to make connects with the point that he just made. Right? And so if Paul's point last week as we studied those first seven verses was to be encouraged and be grateful for what God has done and be grateful for the people that God has brought into our lives, the brothers and sisters in Christ who are faithfully walking with Jesus in the ways that they encourage us, and that all of that is done through this, right? Look at verse seven. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This was the great encouragement that Paul was trying to give to Timothy, was, hey, Timothy, the Holy Spirit resides in you, and because that Spirit resides in you, God has given you a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of self-control unto others. Press into that. God has given that to you. And one of the things I mentioned last week, that is true of every single one of us in in this room this morning if we are a follower of Jesus. God has given that to you. It's not something you need to go take hold of. It's not something that you need to pray for a special dispensation of. God has given that to you. And so Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus, something that we see consistently as a theme between both letters, battles a little bit of fear of man. Whether it's leaders inside of the church that he's pastoring that are teaching incorrectly, or it's people that he's afraid may not respond to the gospel, he battles this a little bit. And it seems to be a consistent struggle in his life that Paul is aware of. And Paul's response to Timothy is not a list of rules or a class on evangelism, but he says, Timothy... Remember what God has done for you. Because God has given you a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Timothy, God has equipped you. I think one of the things we, we fall into is we fail to remember that God is present with us constantly that we fail to remember that if you have an opportunity like I did with that gentleman at the coffee shop, God has equipped us for that conversation and that opportunity. And it doesn't mean you had to have taken some evangelism class or gone to seminary or have your MDiv or be an eloquent debater. No, it means you have a testimony of what God has done in your life and in the life of others. Share that. Share what God is doing in your life and what you believe he can do in their life. He gives us what we need and he empowers us through the Holy Spirit to reach others. And because God has given us power, love, and self-control, because of that, right? This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Because of that, Timothy, don't be ashamed. You, You don't need to feel ashamed. 
Timothy, the gospel is the, the message and good news of how God rescued you. How he rescued your mother. How he rescued your grandmother. Don't be ashamed of that. That is something only God could do. And then he says, don't allow my suffering to embarrass you or cause you to shrink back. But instead, he says this in the second half of verse 8, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Now this is, why, this is one of those reasons why I love God's word so much because it's almost as if God invites us to not like what he asks us to do if we're going to follow him. I tell people consistently, that, like, how can you trust this text that was written by dozens of men over the course of thousands of years to really be God's word to us? And I was like, because if I was creating a religion, I wouldn't write the type of things that are written in this book. I wouldn't share how the father of the faith you know, tried to uh, sell off his wife in prostitution to Egypt. I wouldn't share how the greatest king that the kingdom of Israel ever saw was also an adulterer and a murderer, and yet prop him up as a man after God's own heart. I wouldn't look at Peter, who was called one of the most important pieces and cogs in the early church. I wouldn't look at his life and the way that the gospel accounts talk about him and be like, that's the guy I want to imitate, although I do sometimes. I wouldn't write these things. And I also certainly wouldn't tell people, hey, come follow Jesus because your life can be marked by suffering. That wouldn't be the vision of a religion that I would concoct and create. And yet here you have Paul looking at Timothy or writing Timothy right, and saying to him, hey, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Just be ready to suffer. That's what God called us to. Just be ready for it. Right? And Paul, by the way, if anyone knows about suffering, who is it? Paul, right? If you read, if you read the book of Acts, right? Paul uh, was imprisoned. He was left for dead after a stoning. He was shipwrecked. Uh, he was persecuted by false teachers. Uh, he lacked resources and money, oftentimes when he would move into a new city. And yet Paul encourages Timothy, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. Just suffer with me for God. And you, you might sit there and be like, who would sign up for that? Like, wh- wh- why? Why? If if Kevin is telling the truth this morning, as as he leads us through Second Timothy, if if that really is true, if God really is inviting me to respond to what Jesus has done, but then is inviting me to suffer for His sake. Why would anyone choose to do this? And I think Paul tells us exactly why, starting in verse nine. Right? I love when, when Paul starts sharing something and you can just tell like his heart starts being inclined towards worship. You can just tell, right? Look at what he says in verse 9. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. And which now has appeared and been man- excuse me, and which has now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It's like I can be called to suffering because of the magnitude of what God has done for mankind through Christ Jesus 
is amazing. He calls us not according to our own works, not according to our own value, not according to our own giftings, not according to our wealth and prosperity or whatever it is that we may have on this earth. No, he calls us for his purposes through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Who, and I love this, right? he makes it abundantly clear why the gospel is so powerful and worthy of laying our lives down for. Because Jesus abolished death and offers immortality. Guys, there is nothing on earth that can offer you that. Nothing apart from the finished work of Jesus Christ. As we read this, right, it's almost as if God, right, as I was reading this past week and praying and thinking back on that scenario where I, I, I shrank back in fear and anxiety to share with that man at that coffee shop that God is saying to me, Kevin, you need not be afraid of having the right answer. You need not fear being rejected. Jesus was rejected for your sake. Jesus suffered for your sake. Jesus died in your place and satisfied the wrath of God for your sin and rebellion. And he has overcome all things. And he defeated sin and death once and for all and has invited you into the kingdom kingdom of God as a son who is loved and in whom God is well pleased. Guys, if that doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. Because the reality is, I failed. In that moment, if if there was ever like a, a, a bold, all caps bubble over top of someone's head saying, share the gospel with this guy, that was my moment. And yet as I read this text, I'm encouraged when that opportunity might come again. I don't live in anxiety and I don't live in fear of that failure in that moment because Jesus died for that as well. And it is not based upon my own performance, but the performance of a king, the king of kings, who died in my place. I think ultimately what Paul does here is as he gives us this call to be unashamed, He's saying to Timothy and he's saying to us, put your trials, put your fears, put your anxiety, put them into perspective. He's not saying, hey, your trial or your fear, or your anxiety, none of that matters. He's not saying any of that. Right? That, that's sometimes the, the advice I've been given in the church over the years. Oh, your, your hang-up doesn't matter. Oh, your fear doesn't matter. Oh, your anxiety doesn't matter. You don't have enough faith. Never found that to be a very helpful or motivational speech. Right. Paul's not saying that that doesn't exist. That if you just pray hard enough or believe hard enough, it'll go away. It's not what he's saying. What he is saying is, Timothy, your fear, your anxiety, your pressures, and light of who Jesus is, is nothing. Realize who your God is. That before the foundations of the world and before the ages began, 
He gave us a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave through Christ Jesus. Think about that for a second. Because God exists outside of space and time, he can do anything. <laughs> That's ultimately what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Like, hey, if God is really God, let's trust him to be God. And he has displayed to us time and time again that we can trust his plan. If you read the Old Testament, one of the things I love about having an understanding of the New Testament and then going back and reading the Old Testament, you see how Scripture is just one unfolding story of how God is going to rescue humanity from itself. Humanity messes up very early on, three chapters in, and the entire story, once God arrives in the garden after Adam and Eve have sinned and rebelled against God, is God telling them both the reality of the situation they are now in and how God is going to rescue them. And you see it consistently. You see it through Noah. You see it through Abraham. You see it through the judges. You see it through the kings. This promise of what God is going to do, which finally found its culmination in Jesus. That's why he says in verse 10, which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. A plan to save his people for his purpose, for his glory. Do not be ashamed because God is better. And he loves you. If you are his, you are in Christ. I love this, right? It's, a, it's not a call for Timothy to knuckle down and do better. It's a call to remember that God has called him in love. And what a blessing that is. A blessing that we are not deserving of, but yet God consistently, daily, reminds us to embrace. Let's be encouraged to share the gospel and not be ashamed. Not because of our own power or what we may be able to do, but because of what God has done for us. And so there in those first three verses, right, he says to, to Timothy, don't be ashamed by what Jesus has done to save you. That is all you need, Timothy. But then he also says this. He gives a call for Timothy to imitate the boldness of others in his life. Right, starting in verse 11. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convicted that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And so he, he's going to share with Timothy two separate people to kind of imitate or follow or see their examples and let their examples not tear him down 
for his failures, but to encourage him to respond to these opportunities to be a witness and a pastor and a minister of the gospel there in Ephesus. I mean, the first, the first person he's going to encourage him to imitate is himself. He's going to say, hey, just look at my life, Timothy. And the second person he's going to encourage him to follow is a guy by the name of Onesiphorus. All right, it's a tongue twister, by the way. But let's start with Paul. Right? He says, Timothy, you are, are acutely aware of my life. Right? You are acutely aware of how I have suffered at times. Just know, right, I was appointed to that. If you go back to Acts chapter 9, right, that's the chapter where Paul is on the road to Damascus and meets the resurrected Jesus and immediately believes and is saved. And then there's a vision that appears to this guy by the name of Ananias, and God tells Ananias, hey, I want you to go to Damascus and talk to this guy by the name of Paul and explain the gospel to him and, and tell him what all he needs to do because he's going to be uh, a minister of the gospel and an apostle to the Gentiles. And if you don't know anything about Paul, he's not really the guy you want to be told to go uh, witness to because he was imprisoning Christians and then murdering them. And so... You know, God shows up and, and says to Ananias, go to Paul. And Ananias is like, whoa, I don't think so. <laughs> Are you aware of who that guy is? Right? Just kill me now if that's the case. Right? And, and God responds to Ananias right here in verse 15. Look at what he says. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then look at this part. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So like from the very beginning, Paul was told, welcome to my family, time to suffer. Let's go. And Paul, right, says, hey, this is part of my calling. I, I knew what God was calling me to when I, when I started out on this path. But he doesn't focus on that, right? He, he encourages Timothy to see this instead, right? Look at what he, he says, right, as he moves through verses 11 through 14. He says, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, right? He's, just, he's remembering that calling. But look at what he says. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom... I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. Guys, here is what I think Paul is saying to us, and I think if we leave here this morning understanding this, we will see God do crazy things in our lives and in the lives of others. Right? Typically, when I shrink back in moments of fear and 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 I'm paralyzed by self-doubt or the, the person who's in front of me, the focus is on my ability and what I am able to do. Whether I'll be able to suffer, whether I'll have the right words, whether the person in front of me is really being called, all the things that I can concoct in my mind as to why not to share the gospel with that person in that moment. And Paul takes a step back after decades of ministry and suffering and says, Timothy, don't you recognize what the key to all those churches being planted throughout the Roman world was, had nothing to do with me. It wasn't even really because of my suffering. It was because Jesus sustained me through that suffering. 
There's nothing special about me, Timothy. I've been able to do these things because Jesus was faithful to me. Because Jesus fulfilled his message and his mission. But I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. If some of you guys have done evangelism on campus with me or with someone else in the church over time. And I, people always ask me, especially you students, I love you guys, and you get involved with one of the campus ministries and you get taught a very specific model of evangelism. And then you're like, Kevin does something different. Right? And you get really worried about it. Right? And this isn't me ragging on your campus ministry. I love, I love your campus ministries and I love the models they teach you. I really do. I think they're great. But one of my, one of my disconnects maybe with these different models things like Way of the Master or Cube or whatever the myriad of things we've done over the last you know, 60 years in evangelical ministry is that we place our hope and our faith in that model. We think, oh, if I just share this exact model and do this exact thing, people will come to Christ. Guys, our faith and trust is not in a model or a ministry. It's in a person. It's in Jesus. And that's why Paul takes a step back and says, I'm not confident in my ability as an orator or my ability to argue or in my uh, Roman heritage or in my learned Pharisee uh, understanding of the scriptures. No, my hope is in Jesus Christ. And I am confident in God and that confident leads me to testify to Jesus even in the midst of suffering because Jesus is better. Church, what would it look like for us to rest in that type of confidence? What would it look like for us to truly believe that Jesus is faithful even if in our witness and in our ministry we are uncomfortable? What would that look like? I have some ideas. (laughs) I think we would see people getting saved. I think we would see people released from bondage to sin and despair. And I also think we would fail to share the gospel at times and God's grace would be sufficient for us. Because I know in whom I have believed. Let's run to him, not our performance. And in seeing God's faithfulness to Paul, right? Paul saying to Timothy, follow my pattern, follow my example, right? He says that in verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Right? I love that, right? First of all, he says, follow the pattern, right? He says, hey, this is a pattern. It doesn't mean you follow and do everything I do exactly, right? God has uniquely called you. God has uniquely gifted you, Timothy. Be who God has called and created you to be but follow my pattern. And what is that pattern? Faith and love. He says, hey, if you want to know the, the pattern that I tried to live out as, my, as I was deeply convinced of the faithfulness of God to me, as I lived out a life of faith that showed a deep and abiding trust that God was in charge and God was capable of doing anything, and I loved. 
I wanted to care for others above myself. And guys, let me just say something to you. That pattern is what attracts people to Jesus. That pattern is what other people see who do not know of the power and love and forgiveness and mercy that comes from Jesus Christ. That is what draws people to him. And I share that as someone that had believers follow that pattern, and it was a sweet aroma to me when I didn't know the Lord. I remember hanging out with Christians and being like, what's wrong with these people? What are they so happy about? College sucks. It's really hard. High school was easy. This sucks. Right? And, and then, right, we're supposed to get a job afterwards right? and work, and then we die. Like this is, and these people are just so happy. What, what is wrong with them? Right? And they don't even drink. At least the ones I was hanging out with. It was because they were so gripped by the love of God for them in Christ Jesus. It's because they displayed a pattern of deep abiding faith and trust in him and love for others, including me, who was not easy to be around, by the way. That I couldn't escape what God had said he had done for me in Christ. And he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit and trust in us. He's like, look, Timothy, God's got your back. Follow after him. The Holy Spirit's got you. Guard that. Care for that. Ask God to keep you. Ask him to empower you, equip you. Follow that pattern. So he says to, he says to Timothy, follow my pattern, Timothy, and follow the pattern of this really, really weirdly named guy, right? Onesiphorus. I think we're saying that right, Brent. I think we are. <laughs> Give Brent a round of applause, by the way. That was not easy this morning. Some very strange names, and we're Americans, and we're not taught other languages. Right, so there's very little mentioned about this man in Scripture. To my knowledge, this is the only place he's mentioned all throughout the New Testament. And, and what I love about Paul sharing this example, right, is it would be easy for Paul to say, look at, look at me, be, be encouraged by me, Timothy. You know, like I'm, I'm the, the, the best church planner the new church has ever seen, right? Look at all the things I've done, follow my example, right? And people would be like, yeah, that's the guy, that's the guy we want speaking at the conferences and, you know, the guy who's preaching at the mega church and, and whatever else. And then he mentions this guy who no one knows. And he just says, yeah, that guy too, <laughs> is an awesome and faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Imitate his example. Now look at what he says, starting in verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So Timothy knows who this guy is. But, but from, from what Paul is saying right here, he's like, look, 
there were a group of Christians who could have helped me out in an hour of need and served me and been the hands and feet of Jesus to me when I needed help. And they were scared and fearful of either Roman reprisal or being arrested or being lumped in with a group of people that knew Paul and supported Paul. And so they shrank back and didn't help me. And yet when I arrived in Rome, Onesiphorus right, shows up, has to work really, really hard and maybe even bribe Roman guards, I don't know, to find me, then he refreshed me, continued to minister to me, loved on me, and served me. That's the example of the pattern of faith and love that Paul is talking about. Someone who loves others faithfully and serves them well. What a testimony that is to the grace of God in his life and how God had transformed him. And so Paul says, Timothy, suffer well and follow my example and love and serve others. And I think what Paul is ultimately trying to get across and sharing the example of Onesiphorus is that he's saying, hey, even the reviled are worthy of being served and loved and pointed to Jesus even if that reviled person is me. Right? Ultimately, what's being communicated is that the gospel is for everyone. The good news of what Jesus has done is for everyone. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've seen happen, no matter how you have experienced suffering or abuse or betrayal. God loves you in Christ. We can display tangibly as the hands and feet of Jesus, right? This is the great gift we're given. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ in this room this morning, this is a gift that God gives us to tangibly, as disciples, share and show the love of Christ with others, both brothers and sisters in the faith, but also those outside of the faith. Calling to them, pleading to them, come to Jesus. Follow Jesus. He is worthy. Look at what he has done. Even before the foundations of the world, look at what he has done. And so I leave reading these words with nothing but encouragement. Because, because Paul's saying, God meets us. He meets us where we're at. He wants to encourage us the same way that he has Paul encourage Timothy in this letter. He wants us to leave these walls this morning and go out into the world being the called out people of God, fully resting in the power of who Christ is and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And as we go out and do that, he wants us to be encouraged first and foremost that God has rescued us and we are in Christ and there is nothing that can prevail against that that he who has begun a good work and you will see it through to the day of Christ Jesus, the same way that Paul is able to say that he is abundantly convinced that Jesus is able to guard him until that day which has been entrusted to him. And as we're encouraged to be reminded of what God has done for us in Christ, he encourages us, be courageous. 
in a world that is antagonistic towards Christ and the gospel and unaware of what God has done for us in Christ. Be courageous because God is with you. And as God is with you, be diligent because God will sustain you even when you are weary. You think Paul went through seasons where he's maybe a little weary? I would imagine probably so. You know, I, there's that passage in Acts where he's stoned and left for dead. And I love that. I just love how like matter of fact Luke is as he's writing that. Yeah, Paul got up and then went to the next town and planted a church. Meanwhile, I'm like, the guy in the coffee shop's a little scary. And yet God looks to me and says, Kevin, God can and will sustain you. Trust in him, not in your own power. And make disciples because God is saving people just as he saved you. There was nothing about that older gentleman in the coffee shop that made him any less able to respond to the gospel than I was at age 20 in college. There was nothing about him that made him less of a candidate for the grace of God. Because God is able. So let's trust Jesus, church. Let's see him be faithful. And as we see his faithfulness, may we grow to be like Paul in Romans 1.16. I love what he shares there. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That is what God has given us. The power of God Onto salvation is a gift that we can share with others. Let's be encouraged to do so. So I'm going to invite the worship team back up. And as we, as we close this morning, here's how I want us to end our time as we reflect on what Paul shares with Timothy this morning. Right, my, my hope is that as, as, as we shared in this time of God's word this morning, we saw God's faithfulness to Paul and how Paul makes that call to Timothy for that, that Timothy would experience God's faithfulness. And I think we, we know right, that God was faithful to Timothy. Right? You, you, by the way, are an example of God's faithfulness to Timothy. Right? God has been faithful to his people for the last 2,000 some years since the church started. Right? And he will continue to be faithful to his church. And so I want this to move from, hey, we studied God's word this morning and I know that God is faithful. I want this to move from your head to your heart to, to, to where we are gripped by God's love for us and Jesus and how that then motivates us to go out into the world and, and love our classmates, love our roommates, love our coworkers, love our neighbors, love our family, and to be able to share the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us.